Welcome to another episode of the Reboot Chronicles, a no-holds-barred forum with global leaders, authors, entrepreneurs, and CEOs about how organizations stay focused on growth and innovation in unprecedented times. I'm your host, Dean Tobias, coming to you live from Revive's North American headquarters in Chicago, and we would like to thank you for joining us from around the globe today. I'd like to welcome Michael Rubenstein, who many credit with radically changing the advertising industry by making it operate more like a commodities market. He's a serial entrepreneur and was one of the DoubleClick founders, which created the infrastructure to automate exchanges for buyers and sellers of ads, as many of you know. I think it was one of Google's better acquisitions, quite frankly. And he went on to be the co-founder of AppNexus. That's an exchange for all ad exchanges, and that was acquired by AT&T, our friends over there, for over a billion dollars. And now as a co-founder of a really cool platform called OpenStore, it's a company that makes it easy for small e-commerce companies to gain liquidity. So um, Michael seems to be bringing the algorithms to M&A, which we're going to get into here. Michael, it's uh, good to see you. Most, um, most execs really don't understand ad exchanges and next generation of media buying, social commerce, marketplaces, all that stuff that we rattle off with acronyms so so eloquently so um one of the questions i had is why why do we think that you know executives these days should care about this and how is it impacting their businesses and quite frankly their industry sectors and you mentioned things like programmatic uh, uh, programmatic pipes and all these buzzwords and people just kind of glaze over at some point and go yeah that's the cmo's job i don't deal with that and what do you think well, first of all, it's great to be here, and uh, thanks so much for having me. Um, I, th I think that uh, what programmatic advertising was and is is a response to uh, the adoption of new technologies that allow um, media brands and allow um, advertisers to leverage their data assets and to use technology to present much more targeted advertising to consumers, which is driving better response rates. And so um, if you look at the way media was bought and sold on the internet, on the open internet, prior to the advent of programmatic 15 years or so ago, um, it really looked a lot like the way television or magazine advertising or anything like that have been was bought and sold. Um, so the idea of actually porting that model online and using algorithms in uh, real time to um, tailor media buying decisions was revolutionary at the time. And what started in the early 2000s as, you know, kind of an experiment using rem publisher remnant inventory has <laughs> since turned into a movement that has kind of eaten the entire um, advertising and media buying world. Um, you know, it's it's certain today that the majority of advertising, even in media like um, traditional media, are being uh, bought and sold using uh, pro programmatic techniques. Yeah, it's funny. I remember they started it all out on remnant advertising. It was like, yeah, we'll let you play with that. That's fine. And now it's mainstream. However, it's like years later. I mean, I was you know, CEO of TNS Media, we saw the WPP, it monitored all, everything digital and non-digital uh, media assets. But it just seems like decades later, there's, the big brands are still blowing tons of money on TV advertising, probably the, the least measurable component out there, um, even though I know you tried to help AT&T do a better job at that. Um, so the old adage of, hey, we're still, you know, I know 50% of my advertising is working. I just don't know which 50%. It seems like that's still out there, though. So what, 
why hasn't it gotten to the point where everything is completely measurable? It's really hard to change um, existing behaviors in industries. And so anytime <laughs> a new ad medium pops up, I feel like it's programmatic by default. Mm. And it's much easier to create a new way of buying and selling ads than it is to uh, completely retrofit or adapt an old model. Um, having said that, I think there are a lot of people who are attacking television, obviously with the increased adoption of connected television and over-the-top streaming um, and ad-supported video platforms. Um, I think you are starting to see this getting to the tipping point. In fact, I would argue that probably the pandemic uh, you know, really accelerated a lot of consumer behaviors that ultimately will change the way that uh, consumption and ad buying and selling happenings happens in a video environment. So um, yeah, I think it's, it's definitely uh, in transition. So this is the beginning of the end. Potentially, so just, so. just, just don't tell CBS that. Um, right. No, they all have digital platforms now. I get it. But well, let's talk about something that I think is fascinating. I mean, it was interesting to me reading about um, the growth of Fubo, um, the growth of um, uh, Fox's platform, for example, yeah. the the Avon platform, and uh, you know, just to see actually, like these businesses are becoming very meaningful very quickly. Yeah, that's a, uh, that's a good point. And it's interesting to see what you've done now, taking all of your learnings from, um, you know, the, the interactive exchanges and, and ad platforms, and now bringing this to your new venture open store. It seems like you're focused on rolling up small uh, merchants who are pretty much in the Shopify ecosystem or the Shopify platform. So uh, why are you doing this now? What's uh, what, what led you to this? Yeah, if you look over the last decade or so, there's been an explosion of e-commerce of e-commerce across you know the world, but in particular in the long tail of e-commerce and platforms like Shopify have facilitated that. They've taken I think what previously was main street retail entrepreneurship and made it really easy for online audiences. And so you have this massive explosion of millions and millions of these long tail e-commerce businesses, and there's a business problem there. Um, and the problem is that the proprietors, the entrepreneurs, they don't really have access to very ready access to financing or liquidity. And so the problem we're solving is for the first time introducing liquidity into that market. Um, we, we will at OpenStore acquire these long tail e-commerce businesses and we'll do it almost instantly. And in a lot of respects, it's borrowing techniques from programmatic advertising um, where you're using data science in order to make complex decisions in, near, in, in short periods of time in order to be able to um, you know, do something totally new that hasn't been possible before. Um, in the initial case, when we were talking about advertising, we we're talking about buying a, an ad impression. In the case of OpenStore, we're talking about actually buying a company. And so there's, there's a real win-win at work there. For these entrepreneurs, they're thrilled because we're giving them liquidity. We're buying their businesses, in some cases for millions of dollars, and doing it in a very streamlined, very easy way. And for OpenStore, obviously, we're aggregating e-commerce scale at a very rapid pace. And uh, it's an exciting, exciting business. And I don't think anyone has ever done M&A. You were talking about, you know, innovation in the M&A world. 
I don't think anyone's ever done M and A the way the way we are doing M and A before. Yeah, um, innovation, innovation in the M and A world is an oxymoron, of course. But you know, having done just dozens and dozens of M and A deals and taking companies public, and just you know, my whole life, um, it seems like if any category needed a reboot, it's that one. But yours is yours is very focused. It's specific niche. It's small merchants. It's um, they don't know what liquidity means. They're like when you, then when they hear that term, they're probably thinking, "Is it, are you a plumbing company? What would you actually do?" Um, but I also mentioned in the open that you're you're kind of going hardcore algorithmic here, almost like uh, Zillow was when they're buying houses and they stopped because it kind of got overheated there. Um, so just take tell us real quick how it works because it seems like to me it almost seems too automated. It seems too it's too easy, right? And uh, as we know, you know, buying companies is a very personal, situational um, process. So how, how's that going? It's interesting that you mentioned Zillow because I know they uh, have not fared well in their home buying experiment. Um, yeah. But there's another company out there that has been extremely successful at it, and that's Open Door. And Open Door was co-founded by my co-founder at Open Store, Keith Raboy. And right. um, essentially, they have proven that you can take a market with a long tail of assets that people might um, commonly think is too complex to automate. And you can actually bring data science and automation to the problem and streamline it. And if you go to Open Door today, you can sell your house very, very easily online. And we're solving a similar problem for selling actual businesses, a different asset, but it's right. the same problem. One of our biggest investments is our data science team. Um, and essentially we are, uh, when merchants come to our website, when they come to open.store, they give us access to the Shopify data, they give us access to their bank data and so forth. And we're using data science to be able to determine what we think that business is worth and then present that offer to the merchant in a very short period of time, within a day, and probably in the future within an hour. And it really streamlines the process. People can find out very easily what their business is worth. And if they're ready to transact, they can sell their business to us in a matter of days. So no drawn out corp dev process, no you know, multi-month diligence or what have you. I mean, you're, you're talking about a very streamlined and easy process for people who are looking for, let's not say liquidity, let's say looking for to move on to the next chapter of their careers and be rewarded for the risk they took in entrepreneurship, which is something that they can't get today. Yeah, I see your side of, of it. With, you know, if you've got the Shopify data and the banking data, you can pretty much audit their performance. So that, that tends to um, uh, be a good data points. How do you, and I notice you don't keep any founder involved, like a typical private equity model is they might roll another 20% back into the business and it's probably cleaner for your balance sheets if you don't do that in your cap tables and have you know 50 merchants on the platform but um so i can see it from your side does does the simplicity of it all scare people off a little bit like you know who are these guys since you're early i mean eventually it'll be a known commodity but have you scared off some people in that uh, the process actually being too fast like you know no, no dinners no closing dinners stuff like that yeah, it's definitely a, a, a learning curve for people. Um, 
it, you know, similar to what you were saying before, when we introduced programmatic advertising into the world, I mean, you always get your early adopters and then you get people who join in later. But I think fundamentally, once people get it, what we're doing, um, it clicks pretty quickly and they can see the benefits over what exists today in terms of options for selling their businesses. There really aren't. There are old school business brokers, which pr honestly are not that different than they probably were 10, 20, 30 years ago. No, um, no. There are, you know, like really not a lot of options. And this by comparison is extremely efficient, simple and clean. And so as soon as people get it and understand what we're doing, they tend to get pretty excited about it. What, um, what type of volume have you had in the system and uh, what have you closed so far? Sure. So we started buying companies kind of in the late summer. Um, the company only launched at the beginning of this year, so we're still relatively new. And I would say we really started to hit our stride in Q4. Um, we have acquired... Um, somewhere between 10 and 20 companies at this point, um, but the rate is certainly growing. Um, we have a goal of leaving this year on a run rate of acquiring about a business a day. And um, we certainly over time want to uh, increase the speed around that as well. For us, it's really exciting because I mentioned before, there are millions of long tail e-commerce businesses out in the market. Mm -hmm. And um, we don't need to buy millions in order to make our business work. Um, we need to buy a much smaller number. And I think that uh, it feels great to reward entrepreneurs. You know, a lot of these people have been working very, very hard. It's a very stressful experience, as you know, building um, and bootstrapping, in most cases, your own company. Right. And it's, um, it's really awesome to work with entrepreneurs and, and reward them for that. So have you launched the platform already? Are there, are there companies that are already up where I can go and buy stuff? Uh, there's, we haven't launched like a unified consumer app or, right. or storefront. We uh, basically um, operate individual storefronts um, and those are the storefronts that we acquire. But we have acquired, as I mentioned, uh, north of 10 businesses. And we've started to build out our internal platform for running those businesses. Um, you mentioned before about the founders and them not joining. Um, right. We tend to find that the founders, once they're ready to leave, uh, or once they're ready to sell, pardon me, um, as long as they feel that the business is in good hands and will be treated well and invested in, um, they're happy to leave and get their payouts sooner rather than later. And for us, given that one of the ways that we uh, intend to succeed here is by, um, you know, creating a proprietary platform and proprietary capabilities that will help us run these businesses more efficiently and effectively. It's in our interest also to transform these businesses as quickly as possible and get them on our platform so that we can, you know, keep going out and buying additional ones. Ultimately, we're trying to build a scalable machine here that can constantly be acquiring and investing in and improving, improving these businesses that we identify as being suitable targets. So what's, a, what's an example of a couple you bought so far? Sure, so one example we've talked recently publicly about is Farm Foods. That was one of the first businesses that we bought. Right. It's an online DTC seller of um, meat and poultry and fish. 
<clears throat> which is a category that's grown significantly, especially during the pandemic. People ordering um, fresh frozen food over the internet as opposed to going to the grocery store or, um, or to the market. And as you know, I mean, people want locally sourced organic cuts of meat. And so there's an amazing founder who um, was a former Tesla employee. Um, she's wonderful. And she started the company and got it off the ground and got it to a certain point and just felt like it would be better to move on to the next thing if she could get an appropriate offer for the business. And she came to Open Store. We acquired the company. And now we've moved it over to our platform and we intend to invest in it and continue to grow that business and become a meaningful player in the online frozen meat category. So that was my next um, question was, uh, what's your lens? What are you focused on in terms of categorical acquisitions? So right now we are focused on Shopify businesses. So right. um, we're not at the moment buying um, e-commerce businesses that are built on other platforms. We may over time, but just for simplicity, Shopify has had stunning success over the last decade, as you know, and there's a high concentration of small merchants there. And so we've just started there. Um, and what, and about, so uh, what if I'm really a good merchant on the Amazon platform? So we're not buying Amazon merchants there are a number of other companies out there that do buy amazon merchants there's been a lot written about the fba yes. aggregators right. <laughs> that's not our business so for us you know being in the dtc business is a core part of our aspiration mm -hmm. um our intention is to build one of the biggest uh, dtc e-commerce businesses in the world and um, on Amazon, you know, Amazon captures a lot of the value and owns the customer relationship. I think one of the things that's critical to us about our businesses is we really want to own the end-to-end -end, um, everything and uh, everything from sourcing to fulfillment through to the customer relationship. And, uh, and we tend to find that in the DTC side of things, not in Amazon. No, so, so sorry. Back, back to the categories. Um, so, so sounds like food is one. Yeah, we're, we're fairly category agnostic at this stage. Uh -huh. So essentially, you asked about criteria. If, if an e-commerce merchant is on the Shopify platform, most of the merchants that we're acquiring at this stage probably have less than 10 million in annual revenue. Mm -hmm. um, and um, yeah, great customer relationships, customers who love them. Um, and we're fairly product category agnostic at this point, as I mentioned, um, but over time, I assume we'll learn more about which categories that we prefer to invest in and, and so forth. But um, yeah, that's, that's pretty much it. If you yeah. come to yes. the Open Dog store, we'll give you a price. Yeah, sorry about the audio. The, um, it just seems as a scaler of companies myself, I look for, so I get how you can scale the front end. You guys are, you get marketplaces, e-commerce platforms, you get all that down. But to actually run the back end of a meat packing freezing company and the back end of a fashion clothing company and a beauty makeup company, to me, that is pretty far flung. So how do you, how do you rationalize all that? Yeah, I mean, we are going, that's a really big and important part of the business. And we are going to have to build 
meaningful, meaningful infrastructure in order to be able to support that. And so that is one of the reasons that we've gone out and raised a substantial amount of money, uh, especially for a company at our stage. Uh, we've done at this point multiple rounds of financing with top tier Silicon Valley investors. We know that we're going to need to make an inve a significant investment in order to be able to operate that way. Having said that, we also believe that once we've made that investment, that that will give us a level of scale and give us a level of control over our business that will be extremely uncommon in the e-commerce space. And so we're very optimistic and excited about the levers that we will have over time for really creating, uh, creating value. At what point do you become um, less of an acquirer and more of an operator of all these companies that you are basically rolling up, um, some independent, maybe some combined? Well, it's a great question. And I think obviously the more companies we acquire, the more the business will start to look like a big e-commerce operating entity. Right. And so, yeah, but I think what we've decided is that our mechanism for uh, one of our primary mechanisms for growth will be this very unique acquisition model um, that occurs through open.store. And so, yes, for sure. I think this year, because we were just starting the business, the primary focus has been building that front end um, where merchants can come and sell us their business in you know really streamlined way. But increasingly over time, the e-commerce operations of the business will become a bigger and bigger focus. I bet. Uh, just focus in a little bit about us in the space that we're pretty involved in here, which is health, beauty, and wellness. So there are no shortage of indie companies, as they like to call them, uh, almost coming out of the woodwork. Everything from health, beauty, wellness, and you already mentioned food, but some of them are some very frothy valuations that were probably not as frothy a few years ago. So at what point do they fit into your model, high valuations versus seems like you're looking for really good deals on small DTC companies that are you know, ready to sell, but doesn't feel like from an algorithm point of view, you wanna negotiate really high valuation types of stuff. You're looking for a sweet spot, I would guess. Is that, is that a good assumption? Well, if what you're implying is that we wanna buy cheap businesses, I don't think that's the case. We wanna buy good businesses and- yeah, I, guess, I guess some of them are overvalued. I just didn't wanna say that, but some of them, the valuations are so high on some of these companies right now, yeah. Yeah, that, I mean, I think- it, Does it fit your model, I guess, is a better way to say it. I think in M&A, if the market says that a business is worth something, mm -hmm. then, um, you know, as an acquirer, you have to decide if you want to pay that. Um, I think really part of the secret sauce for OpenStore is, as I mentioned, we're developing these proprietary algorithms that are helping us to value the businesses according to what we think they're worth. And if that doesn't align with the expectations of the beauty brand or the entrepreneur, then that's okay. Um, you know, market valuations will fluctuate, as you know, and they can come back a year from now and, and you know, try again. So I think we are trying to um, value good businesses at a fair rate and to uh, present that to the entrepreneurs and, and hope that there are enough cases where they'll agree. And so far, it seems like that's bearing out. Yeah, seem to have a good track record so far. It's early, but the, um, what, uh, so what do you think of that category? beauty. So 
skincare, cosmetics, things like that? Yeah, we're big fans of beauty. We would certainly buy beauty companies. Um, and uh, it's most certainly one of the biggest categories that you see on platforms like Shopify. It's also uh, obviously a huge category on uh, social media and social commerce, which is an emerging channel for DTC um, e-commerce. So yeah, we're very bullish on beauty category. As you look at your, you know, going forward when you're building out the platform, social commerce, embedding your stuff in other sites, are you are you more of a destination, or how, how do you see yourself um, differentiating as a next gen commerce provider versus, you know, right now most of them are like, hey, just come to my site. It's like that's not the future. I think what what are you planning there? Well, at the moment, um, all of our marketing and advertising is, as you would expect, on third-party platforms like Google and Facebook and Pinterest and TikTok and so forth. Mm -hmm. But I agree with you. I think that increasingly commerce will live on the attention platforms. I think that's one of the reasons that uh, coming from my background in media and advertising that I was drawn to the e-commerce space is because I'm seeing this really interesting convergence between the two. Um, obviously Amazon being the best example of that with its incredible, incredibly strong e-commerce and advertising engine. But, um, yeah, so I think it will, uh, I think our business will evolve as commerce on the internet evolves. And I do believe that we're going to see a very strong convergence between media and uh, media and commerce. Yeah. You seem like you've got yeah, a sure, yeah. and you're, you guys are patient enough. I mean, you yourself, you know, last company you sold, you sold at AT&T so you survived the uh, Death Star phase, as I call it. I can say that I was a CEO of one of their uh, subsidiaries once and actually divested a company from them. But uh, actually, that's a good question. What did you learn from your app Nexus uh, beginning, middle, and end journey, especially after being acquired, that's kind of helped you reboot Open Store maybe differently than a competitor to Open Store might uh, be competing against you? Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, AbNexus was an amazing, very fulfilling career experience for me. And, you know, taking a company from startup through to growth stage, through to sale uh, to AT&T, through to integration was really like a full life cycle experience for me. Um, so I learned so much at every stage along the way. Um, you know, I think that uh, one of the things I learned uh, uh, that, uh, that I apply to open store is the fact that, um, you know, I think ultimately there are things you can do to accelerate the uh, um, growth of the business from startup to through to growth stage business. And we're trying to employ that as much as possible today to bring on great talent, financial partners. Um, it focus our efforts on the areas that are going to create the most value as quickly as possible. Um, so, I mean, I think it, uh, you know, I draw very, very heavily on both my AppNexus and DoubleClick experiences um, uh, in building this business. I also, um, you know, have also really enjoyed working in large enterprises. I mean, I obviously didn't stay very long at Google or AT&T after we sold those businesses, but I learned a tremendous amount and was fortunate in both cases to be able to work with uh, members of the senior executive team who, um, who either taught me things or I just learned by observing, learned from by observing. And uh, yeah, I, uh, I think you can learn something in every environment. And I'm 
pleased to say, I mean, I did learn a lot, uh, for example, in my time at AT&T as well. Yeah, sounds like it. The, um, you know, that connected tissue between small company and large company, there's only a few of us that can play in those environments and have, you know, thankfully or unthankfully had to do both. <laughs> we've got some, we've got some stories. Michael, I uh, really want to thank you for joining us, but maybe in our last uh, couple minutes here, any advice that you would give aspiring entrepreneurs, just given what you've been through, um, you know, at an early age, many of them coming right out of college, many of our students at Kellogg Northwestern are doing startups before they've even graduated, but uh, any quick tips on, uh, you know, what the roaring 20s, uh, how they should approach it? Um. I, uh, it's a great question. I think that um, if I, there, there's probably so much advice, you know, people can give. If I, if I look back on my career, I think one thing that went really well was, you know, when I first got into the internet in the late nineties, I went to work for a pre-revenue startup in Toronto, where I'm originally from. And we essentially pioneered the area of email, permission-based email marketing. And we ended up selling that company to DoubleClick over time. And I just, I, I, it's amazing to me how often I look back and I draw on those early experiences um, where, you know, I wasn't concerned in those days about like, you know, creating my own company. I was really just focused on learning. And I think there's so many cool startups in so many areas where graduates can go these days. I mean, there's, you know, as you mentioned, there's incredible stuff happening in e-commerce and crypto and DDC and all kinds of things. I think just like, jumping into something that you find interesting and immersing yourself in learning at this stage is an incredible investment and something that will pay off huge in you know 10 years time, 20 years time uh, along many different dimensions. And so um, I think that like just finding something interesting and fully immersing yourself in it is, um, is the best advice I could give. Any special categories that you like? I mean, obviously e-commerce, I believe that um, you know, if we look back now, pre-pandemic, and say, okay, you know, 10 to 15% of all retail transactions were happening online, and that somehow seemed normal to us, is just bizarre now. Um, I mean, we live now, I think, in a world that's moving to e-commerce first. It's going to take some time to get there, but I just think the experience of buying online is so much more convenient and so much better. Um, it's hard for me to see how retail transactions don't get close to 50% of the market by 2030. Um, you know, it's not a scientific prediction, but you know, you're talking at that point about a multi-trillion dollar marketplace that's meaningfully bigger than what we were, the world we were living in before the pandemic. And you know, it, it, it almost makes the idea laughable that e-commerce was a mature thing years ago. I think we're still in the early stages. So I'm a big fan of e-commerce um, and the intersection of e-commerce and media. And, uh, you know, I'm obviously betting there personally. And I, uh, um, I think there's a lot of exciting stuff to come there. Yeah, good advice. Thanks. You've been listening to Michael Rubenstein, who has got a really cool company you should check out called Open Store. And this is Dean Tobias with the Reboot Chronicles. I want to thank you for joining us and we'll see you soon.